Hello, welcome to the new Dalham History Podcast for all your history revision needs with Gribbin and Howarth. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the new Dalham History Podcast. We realise now that it's crunch time for a lot of our students. We've got the A-level students and IB students about to sit mock exams and it's not long till the real deal. And for Year 11, it's only really a month after that. So we're going to get the podcast coming in thick and fast. We're going to aim to try and do your two a week if we can, just to try and make sure we get through as many topics as possible. We're going to be doing exactly the same as we were doing in 2019 in terms of summarising the topic and talking you through some technique uh, and pointing out some other places where you can find out information. However, we're getting bored with it already, so we've got a different game to play. Instead of it being two truths and one lie this week, we're going to be playing Who Am I? Where I'm going to be trying to guess Gribbin to work out a historical figure from the time period. And this week, we're going to be doing Anglo-Saxon Okay, so Anglo-Saxon society, you've got to focus really on the role of the king and the hierarchy that's involved there. So the king and his nobles um, make up the higher part of society. So the king's the head of the government. He makes all the important decisions, has to display good military skills, makes laws and makes sure they're obeyed and has to manage his nobles by cooperating, but also controlling them. The earls were most important of the nobles and they were powerful landowners. If he, the king needed to ask for advice, he would call on the Witten, literally meaning a meeting of wise men who would then advise him. Some people say that's like Parliament today, but that's more just men, a group of men. And also, uh, they didn't have to listen to the advice of the Witten, which is actually more like Parliament today. Indeed, they don't even listen to each other. Um yeah, so there's about six areas of the country, as Miss Gribbin said, uh, the nobles are the most important, but under them you've got the earls and the thanes. So earls controlled large areas of England, uh, the big ones were Wessex, Mercia, Northumbria and East Anglia. They were the people who stopped there being rebellions against the king. Um, to make sure that there was good government, the land was divided into shires and hundreds, and that's where we get the term shire reeve from. So a shire is a county area, and the sheriff is the person who does the kind of admin and judicial functions of that region. And then right at the bottom of society, you've got your carls, your peasants and your slaves. Uh, carls were free men who owned their own land and they had to serve in an army if they were asked to. Peasants rented land from the thane, had to work on his land for three days each week. And about 10% of the two million population were slaves and they weren't free. They had no land and they worked for the thanes as like farm labourers or servants. Yeah, so on the face of it, you wouldn't necessarily see a difference between these peasants and the slaves other than the fact that four days of the week the uh, peasants could farm for themselves whereas the slaves are just working the land for the landowner constantly. Legal system overlaps a lot with crime and punishment. You hopefully know this from that year nine right the way through to year 11 but it's worth just touching on again so um mainly is the king's laws and people follow them some local customs but on the whole we've got a national system brought in by the doom book um in about 890 i think it is yeah so it's a lot of retaliation and compensation going on you've got the wear guild um, you've got the fact that if you commit a crime, lots of mutilation so that people can spot um, re-offenders. Uh, and there's no police. 
Basically, it's local communities, groups of tithings or 10 men monitoring the behaviour of the rest. The idea being that if one person in the group breaks the law, you bring them to court. Otherwise, you're all going to be punished. Within the legal system, there are two types of courts, Shire and Hundred. Shire and Hundred courts used a jury, but they were made up of people who knew both parties in the case. And they listened to the evidence and then came to a judgment, probably based on who they liked better or who they thought was the better person. Uh, If the two courts couldn't come to a final decision, then trial by ordeal followed, which took place in a church. So you could have trial by hot water, trial by cold water, trial by hot iron or trial by blessed bread. No trial by combat in this period. That's introduced by the Normans. In terms of the uh, economy of the country, it's mainly villages, to be honest. People wouldn't have come into contact with many people outside of their local village in their lifetime. It's a case of you produce enough food for the family, anything spare, you'd sell at a local market. Um, It might be that you travel to a local town if you were selling something particularly unusual. And it's all done by bartering. People don't really use a lot of coinage. You trade goods with somebody else. Markets tended to be weekly. Craftsmen would go along to those big markets to trade the really expensive goods. And if you were living near a really big town, uh, you've got London, Edinburgh, um, Bristol, some of the port towns, they'd have their own mint and they could make their own coins. Mint. Mint. The final part of Anglo-Saxon society that's really, really crucial, really important, is the church. And it's got a massive influence over all people in Anglo-Saxon society. All classes, uh, anybody that is anybody at this time attends church regularly. They own 25% of the land in England. Senior members of the church were often on the Witten and advised the king. People accepted that God controlled harvests, disease and entry to heaven. So the church was a massive part of daily life. There were several holy days and and saints days, which meant that all people could attend church services. That's where we get the word holiday from. Yeah. And uh, there were abbeys uh, in the shires. And basically an inhabitant of either an abbey or a nunnery were people who committed their lives to God, but they'd also be in charge of things like writing manuscripts, growing produce, maybe even also producing medicines. So a really important feature in the local society. Am I? So, as I said before, no two truths, one lie this week. Instead, we're doing who am I? Basically, I've got a series of facts which increase in terms of easiness. Let's see when Gribbin feels confident that she knows the person from Anglo-Saxon society. And then after that, I'll share the other facts that I had written down. So the challenge is on Gribbs. Who am I? Born in 1025. Okay, I'm going to go for another clue. Reasonable. One of the richest landowners in England, holding 270 hides of land. Okay, I'm, 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 I think I might be getting there, but I'm I'm going to go for another another clue. Was present at the Battle of Hastings. Oh no, that's thrown me a little bit. Okay, uh, no, keep going. Died in around 1086. Oh, uh, can I guess? Yeah. Is it Bishop Odo? It's not Bishop Odo. Oh, no. Okay. okay. We'll carry on going. Had, I've put it in inverted commas, a stepdaughter who became an ancestor to Vlad the Impaler. 
Also known as Dracula Kids. Oh, uh, no, I'm not getting it. <laughs> Had a Danish marriage which wasn't recognised by the church. Mm, is it? No, but he died at the... No, mm, no, go again. Was the person who identified Harold's body at Hastings by spotting marks on the king's body with his mother, Gertha. Tostig. Tostig died at Stamford Bridge. Oh, yeah, Bridge. okay. Oh, no. So, do you want to recap the facts? Yeah, yeah, okay. Born in 1025. <laughs> yeah. One of the richest landowners in England, holding mm. 270 hides of land, was present at the Battle of Hastings, died in around 1086, had a stepdaughter who became an ancestor to Vlad the Impaler, had a Danish marriage that wasn't recognised by the church, and was the person who identified Harold's body at Hastings by spotting marks on the king's body that no one else would have known. Oh, man. Is it a Godwin? No, because they had a Danish marriage. Right, OK. So is it a Dane? It's not a Dane. It's the one of the richest landowners in England. No idea it is. All the people that I'm thinking of are dead. Now, you see, what Miss Gribbin's doing is she's presuming that it's a man. Oh, no. Edith Swanneck. Yay! Yay! <laughs> it is Edith Swanneck. I did. I did presume it was a man because uh, we're doing Anglo-Saxon society. And but yeah. Anglo-Saxon society valued women equally to men. Mm. So the Normans who introduced the idea that women were subservient. So yeah, Edith Swanneck, lady with a long neck, but the whole thing about her being one of the richest landowners, that links into the fact that she probably owned most of East Anglia. Um, there's somebody called Egifu the Fair, and they think it's the name is the same, and next door to Wessex, it was probably a kind of a, a land-joining thing to make Harold even more powerful. Nice. Hmm. Into technique time, where we discuss a question type and the way to tackle it. Uh, really focusing on the Anglo-Saxon paper. So in the Anglo-Saxon paper, you get three questions, a describe two features, an explain why, and a how far do you agree? So all questions that come up on other papers. We're going to go for the easiest option today, and we're going to do a describe two features question. The question that we've got is, describe two features of the role of the king in Anglo-Saxon England. To tackle this question, you need to identify a feature and then put a little bit of a descriptive element in that helps describe that feature. How many marks are these questions worth then? So this is only four marks. So really you should spend four minutes on it. Feature, description, feature, description. Really short, really sweet. It's a P-E paragraph, not yeah. P-E-E. Exactly. Just a bit of point, bit of evidence, no explanation. No. So, we said that we've got a question that we're looking at. Describe two features of the role of the king in Anglo-Saxon England. So, one feature is that the king made all of the decisions. He could turn to the Witten for advice, but did not have to listen to this advice. And that's what you'd have to do. That's a whole point made. Yeah, that's, that's one, one feature, of feature Two marks. So then you'd have to give a second feature. Absolutely. So something like... The king had to be a good military leader and have an army ready. It helped if he had the um, nobles and the earls who could provide him with military leadership. Excellent. Four marks straight away. Does spend long on it. That's the key. And that's where things have gone wrong for students in the past. 
only spend five minutes max here. If you spent five minutes, it's not worth staying with the question. Move on. Also, if you have no idea what the thing they're asking you features is about, don't stress and spend ages thinking, oh my God, I don't know what that is. Write something that you think might be related to it and move on. Like with that question, features of the role of the king in Anglo-Saxon England. If instead it had a word like monarchy in there and you're wondering what that is, have a stab at it. No pun intended. Sorry, Harold. Um, But try and move on. Chances are there's a better one coming up. Certainly with the third question, you've got a choice of two. So four marks, it's minuscule in the big scheme of things. Absolutely. Finally, where else can you go? If you are a big fan of the Anglo-Saxons, we've got a few ideas about places where you can watch some extra information and find out a little bit more about the topic. Now, I do know they've done some fantastic In Our Time podcasts uh, on Radio 4 on the Anglo-Saxon, some of the key figures, people like um, Ethelred the Unready and who's the one who burnt the cakes? I have no idea. Is that with the Confessor? No, I feel like it's earlier. But anyway, there are plenty of episodes that they've done in the past. Um, You said that there's a Tony Robinson... Yeah, the Tony Robinson uh, crime and punishment documentaries. The first one is all about the Anglo-Saxons and their justice system. We watched it in year nine. Yeah, more focused on crime and punishment, but does give you a little bit of background into their sort of why it's like that. Like it. I think he did another one as well on uh, King Harold Fact or Fiction. You can get that one on YouTube. It's part of the timeline um, sequence of videos on YouTube. That's pretty good. Goes into who Harold Godwinson was, but sets the scene of what life in Anglo-Saxon uh, England was was like uh, and it's not available at present but there was a BBC4 series all about the Anglo-Saxons if you type into YouTube um, King Alfred and the Anglo-Saxons there's some clips um, you may be able to source out copies of it elsewhere um, if we come across it we'll let you know in lessons also, there's always the uh, classic BBC Bite Size. They have actually got quite a lot of stuff on Anglo-Saxons and the Normans. There's those great animation videos that we watched throughout the unit in Year 9, which would be which are actually really useful. Um, and also, they've got some stuff for earlier Anglo-Saxon things on there as well. They do. They've also got some really cute primary school ones. So if you want to just ease yourself back into the topic, why not watch some primary school kids find out a little bit about Sutton Who? It'll make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> and we're nearly there. It's about the end of the episode. All we've got left is the joke section. We've had one submission, three, which I feel is worthy of a badge. Uh, that came from Jake Davies. Do you want to share the joke, Miss? Absolutely. So uh, our winner, joke winner, only winner. entry, but winner, wins. Uh, is from Jake. And it says, uh, his joke is, what do you call a procrastinating Russian? What do you call a procrastinating Russian? Stalin. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Jake. Badge for you in lesson. Well done. Um, So we have to have a joke. An Anglo-Saxon society joke. Now, we found one which is considered to be one of the oldest jokes in existence. Uh, It was found in the Codex... What what was the Codex called again, miss? Codex Exoniensis. She didn't look that up or anything. Basically, it's a 10th century book of Anglo-Saxon poetry. Um... The joke goes as follows. What hangs at a man's thigh and wants to poke the hole that it's often poked before? I don't know. What does hang at man's thigh and wants to poke the hole that it's often poked before? A key. (laughs) (laughs) So, there we go. 
Um, it all goes back to the Anglo-Saxons. And we're going to try and get another episode out for you ASAP. Um, A-level students and IB students, it's going to be more relevant for you maybe than the GCSE bunch. We're going to do one on Tsar Nicholas II and why he um, suffered his downfall. But that's not to say GCSE students won't find it interesting. It certainly sets the scene for some of your Cold War stuff and what's going on in Germany and why they're so worried about communists. Absolutely. And I bet you there's some really good jokes about Nicholas II. (laughs) So it's goodbye from her. And it's goodbye from him. Bye. Bye. <laughs>